All right, everyone, welcome back to the Better Board Games podcast. I am McKay, or the Board Game Critic, and I'm here with Evan. From Being Friends, um, we are going to talk today about the arc in a game and what that is, what that means for your game, and how that can change it with the way a game feels completely. And we wanted to give a sh- uh, quick shout out to our sponsor, uh, Big Viking Mats. Um, if you need a mat for your table that will protect your game, protect your table, uh, they do really thick uh, five millimeter plush uh, gameplay mats, and they're they're fantastic. So if you're looking for one, uh, the the fact that they're custom cut uh, to fit your table is amazing. Exactly. If you're if you're looking for a way to improve your play experience, whether it be by that that protection standard or just the way it feels to play, um, getting a full play, table play mat is a really really great place to to go next, especially if you do have your own custom um, board game table. A mat is a perfect complement to that. Um, It makes things like picking up cards way easy, way, way easier. And it's just so funny. You're playing a game without a mat, for instance, and you're like, all right, I got to pick up this card. And then you just can't. And then it takes like 20 seconds. It's humiliating. It's humiliating, yeah. If you don't want to be humiliated at your next board game night, then go to vikingmats.com and do yourself a favor and check out what they've got to offer. And with that, we're going to jump into the show. So tell me, what is a game arc? I want to hear what you think about this. So game arcs, uh, if you're in the world of board game design, you probably are very familiar with them. It's kind of the emotional journey, right? That kind of a game takes you through. So if we're plotting these on a graph, you're going to have your x-axis is kind of time and your y-axis is the amount of excitement is how I would define it. But I think you can plot different aspects of the game. For sure. Um, but I think most of what you're plotting is your excitement over time. So yeah, if you look at it, if you basically just play a game and zoom out for a second, the way that the game felt in the beginning of the game versus the middle of the game and the end of the game oftentimes is different. Um, There is usually some sort of incongruencies, some sort of factors to each one. And that is basically what your game arc is. It's the way it feels over the course of the whole game. Some games, they don't change a lot. Some games change dramatically. Some games vary um, depending on a lot of other factors, such as just the way that specific round went. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about all of that um, and how certain games do it differently. And specifically, we want to touch on this because this is what the this podcast uh, came out of. We were, me and McKay were talking about um, Gloomhaven and we were talking about Eon's End as well. And and McKay, what do you think of Gloomhaven? We'll just, I'll just let you say that so i'll just i respect gloomhaven it's obviously a well-built game um it's thorough it for whatever reason doesn't appeal much to my play style um i haven't played it a ton i've played it a little bit with my brother-in-law and sister and it always has this feel of like at the beginning i'm feeling good and i'm feeling confident and then by the end it's just like I have no options and I'm just struggling to do anything. And that to me is a little bit opposite of how I prefer to feel at the end of a game. Usually I like this movement of like growth and power. And by the end, I'm feeling just like confident that I've done things. Whereas Gloomhaven leaves me feeling like I've just had everything taken away from me. So that is, uh, we're going to touch more on that later, but that's basically just an example of a game arc that uh, for me, I do like Gloomhaven quite a bit. Um, So that arc of a game actually feels really interesting and exciting to me, but apparently it's not for everyone, right? (laughs) Not for everyone. Let's go ahead and take a game that probably everybody's familiar with and dissect a little bit of if we were to map the arc of that game, let's take a classic like Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Even if you haven't played it, you probably know it pretty well and how it works. Um, Yahtzee actually has a very interesting um, gameplay arc because it starts off like pretty stress-free, right? And we're probably mapping stress as much as we are excitement in Yahtzee. 
because toward the beginning, you know that you have places to put dice and you roll the dice, you have the option of going for a full house or you're like, eh, but if I don't get there, I can always just throw it in my twos. Um, this kind of has, this is like the excitement level starting out really low and calm. Every once in a while, you'll have these peaks of energy where it's like, oh man, I could maybe go for a Yahtzee right here. Yep. That usually leads to an even deeper trough and a fall <laughs> because you never get Yahtzee. You don't, but you don't get it. <laughs> um, the general feeling of the game is that the amount of stress or excitement that you're feeling is on a general increase with these little spikes of excitement throughout. Because over the course of the game, it's more and more limited, essentially. Right. Yep. So by limiting your options, you're actually generating an amount of um, excitement because the possibility of like a big payoff and even like the the risk versus reward is constantly being upped because you have to be a little bit more risky and you have to be pushing toward those higher rewards. Yahtzee might be one of the best classic board games that might compared be to, I think it's like Yahtzee and Scrabble kind of for the ones that hold up. I, I actually love categories and taboo. I was thinking about those two as well. I kind of despise categories, but I do like taboo quite a bit more. Categories, brief, brief tangent, brief tangent. First of all, my brain doesn't work in that way. Like a catalog, not at all. It's like a scatter. I guess that's the whole idea. But as yeah, um, also all that categories, all that I think of is that someone is going to have bullcrap answers that really are bending the rules. And I have to be the one to be like, you are wrong. That no, doesn't that's count. Actually, that's weirdly <laughs> one of the things that I love about it. Is I get that. <laughs> the, the argumentation and that like moment of, no, I'm going to convince you why this fits in the category. It turns out categories is actually more of a negotiation game than anything else. I actually do enjoy that part, but it is stressful. <laughs> um, anyways, so that's an example of a simple game with um, surprisingly, like if you look closely, the game arc is really cohesive and it kind of follows that nearly every time you play the game. Um, right. So we think, I think that um, if you look like, if you zoom out, there's not really a crazy amount of game arcs. You kind of have this uh, almost trichotomy. Is that a thing? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Dichotomy is a thing. Um, so there's <laughs> these, there's two things and then there's a third now. thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, you're either going to be ramping up like you were talking about with your like engine building games and with whatever. Um, and over the course of the game, things are getting more and more exciting. There's more happening. There's more big moments. There's more of all this stuff. And then there's the games that kind of start off strong and you're just sort of like creeping towards the end and you're doing small things to get the, just the slight advantage. Um, and I think that that's where we like, where we come up, we think of Gloomhaven, right? That's exactly what Gloomhaven right. is doing for a, a really good example of it. Um, on top of that, I would actually say Yahtzee is in that same category, surprisingly. Yahtzee, Gloomhaven, mm -hmm. um, I would say other roll and rights as well, kind of have this idea that like over the course of the game, your options are getting less and less vast. And so you're getting more and more dialed in um, and it's slightly more stressful. So I would say if, if you want to just list more, Azul does the same kind of thing. Um, yeah. So there's the start off small and then keep on like just more and more. And then there's the kind of like start off with a lot of options, a lot of variety. You're building your foundation and it just becomes more and more limited over time. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third thing is a little bit more ambiguous and it's kind of why you could put all games into three categories maybe. And this is obviously all theoretical. Um, right. off the top of my head even um the third thing is like kind of this tug of war kind of like this um you see it in a lot of competitive games whether it's like a war game or a um competitive card game where there's just like this you're kind of both at the same level and just chipping away at each other and trying to find the perfect like opening to really make your big play right and there are we are being a bit reductive just so that we don't have to go into all of the gameplay arcs, but there are like some interesting ones. I'm going to talk about a couple of the gameplay arcs that I hate. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I, I don't enjoy Ticket to Ride and it's a fairly unpopular opinion. Um, I just really have no desire to play it because I see it as it starts off boring where you're just like taking cards. 
you have like this momentary spike in the middle where it's like, yeah, I accomplished all of my tickets. And then it has a super boring end where it's just like, we can all see the game coming to an end. And it's just like, my decision is whether I should just waste time and just wait for the game to end or risk getting negative points by drawing more tickets. And (laughs) that to me is boring. Like it should cut off at a peak. It should cut off at an extreme, which is what Mm -hmm. Eon's End and Gloomhaven both do. Gloomhaven cutting off at this moment of like, you are almost out of options. Maybe you have run out of options and you lost, but it cuts off in this moment of like high emotion. Yep. Eon's End cuts off in a place of high emotion, sometimes in a similar place of like, dang it, I can't get there. And you're struggling (laughs) toward the finish line. But oftentimes in this big crescendo of like, I have this, I've been building this huge spell that I'm just going to rain down with. And so those are kind of, it's funny how similar the two games can be with having completely inverted gameplay arcs. So for a little more context, um, when we were discussing Gloomhaven earlier, um, we mentioned, we, we, we noticed how, so McKay, you said that you don't like the arc of Gloomhaven where it kind of feels like you're, you're crawling to the finish line and by the end of the game, you're out of steam completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, adversely, we both really love the game Eon's End and it has this very dramatically opposite game arc where everything is building up towards this like grand finale. Um, mm-hmm. And what we noticed is that both games have that, it's like completely opposite. You start off small in Eon's End, you start off small in, sorry, you end off small in Gloomhaven. Um, but in both games, every single moment really matters. And every right. single moment is integral to winning because they made the game so tight in such a way. Um, so that's why we were mentioning that. It, it's surprising to notice the exact opposite arcs somehow give a very similar feeling in a, in a almost like a zoomed out way. Cause it doesn't actually feel the same to play, but it doesn't. And that's, <laughs> I, maybe I said that a little bit like depressed. Yeah. It does not feel the <laughs> same to play. Feel the same. <laughs> um, but that is one of the cool things about games in general, that you have these different gameplay arcs and you can shift these, uh, these arcs, not like really easily it's kind of like mechanic overhaul if you're really wanting to completely shift the gameplay arc of this but um really quick if you aren't familiar with gloomhaven let me tell you why because it doesn't feel like a struggle to the end just in the sense of like ah my life is dwindling and i'm gonna die before achieving my goal it mostly feels that way because you have a handful of cards that represent all of your actions Every t- and you go through those playing every time you have to pick your hand back up, you have to get rid of one of those cards permanently. And so as you're playing the game, you just lose access to some of your, your core abilities that you started the game with, whether that's attacking, moving, healing, whatever, those are gradually being just siphoned away. So yep. you're left to your most essential movements in the game. And that I think is what felt weird to me is that usually when you play a game, your options expand as you go into the game. Uh, Take any kind of like resource management game. You kind of start with just like, you know, a pretty scripted, like I'm getting stuff, but then by the end, it's like, oh man, the decisions and like the places that I could go to apply my time and decisions with are so vast. And that's not what happens in Gloomhaven. You kind of like, you lay the foundation work and you're stuck there. Like I, if you locked yourself into a room in Gloomhaven, you just got to fight it out and hope that you can win the game. Yeah. So every turn in Gloomhaven really matters because if you are playing it too safely or too slowly, you might just burn out and run out of steam completely. And for me, that's really fascinating. And I think that I really love that arc. Um, it's totally less exciting, but it's almost like so it's, it's gritty and feels for me, maybe the reason why I love it is actually because it feels different than the standard game that I usually go for. Um, my top three favorite games or three of my top five, I guess, favorite games, Spirit Island, Mage Knight, and Eon's End 
all three have that like huge, like, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting stronger. We're doing more things. We're getting crazy cool. And it's so fun. And I love it so much. And Gloomhaven is different. And that's like one thing that I do particularly enjoy about it. So let's actually, I thought of a analogy, which maybe you could agree or disagree with this. Um, have you watched uh, Netflix's uh, rendition of Daredevil? Uh, not all of it. So okay. Well, if, no, even if really. you've watched some, like the the combat sequences in Daredevil Netflix version, not mm-hmm. the uh, Ben Affleck version, um, <laughs> the every fight scene has that feeling of like he goes in strong, and you're just like, yeah, this is awesome. But then by the end, huh. everybody in the fight can you can visibly see them just like struggling, crawling, and just like. Yep it's so rough and heavy and that's it's a really cool thing to watch and and then i'm like okay so take marvel movies it's usually almost the exact opposite you start they start out a fight and it's like oh no it's not looking good for them they take a couple hard hits at the beginning but then by the end it's just like this epic triumph yep both end in triumph but I'm like, they leave you with very different feelings. One is like very empowering and just like, yeah, we can do anything. And the other one is just like, oh man, we, we snuck by it. barely. Oh man, both make such, for yeah, definitely different, but both make such exciting fights, right? Like right. It's, it's a completely different thing. Um, it makes me think of um, anime. Obviously everything makes me think of anime. Um, <laughs> And Shonen specifically is all about fights. So like there's a lot of different kinds of fights and you see those like really huge fights where at first everything's really rough and then like you, they overcome it. But then there's some fights in like, for instance, One Piece comes to mind in the later arcs. Um, some of those fights get incredibly tough and they walk away from the fight, like completely out of everything. They like just made it by. And those I think are the more, memorable fights I, w- I wonder if you could just say that like any game just by like on paper is like a story um you start off in some games with like your characters introduced and they're not very strong or whatever but then like mm-hmm. middle of the game you like start getting some key abilities and by the end of the game you're you know doing all these crazy things versus you know a different game it's a different story here's what i wonder i wonder if you could map your preference in movies and media and predict what kind of board games you would prefer based on that because i i'm honestly like there are some movies that are just pretty stagnant the whole way through like there are like some exciting parts but it's just more about like the general like story that's happening all the way right right right. and i would honestly say like welcome to feels like that for me while there are like exciting moments or tense moments it's just kind of like you're just playing through railroad ink actually has the same kind of feel to me where it's like maybe your very last turn you're hoping for one specific role but (laughs) for the most part it's just like no i'm just like playing through this and i think most like card games that are just like we think of like old people games (laughs) that it's just like yeah we're just here to just like do this like flatline activity i can actually (laughs) see people having similar preferences for movies where it's like no just like Mm. i mean peanut butter falcon take me through just like kind of this story that just you know leads me along and i get to have like a little ups and downs along the way but overall it's just like leaves me with something interesting um i i don't know i i would say like just thinking off that uh of that off the top of my head i would say probably not for me okay um because what i'm looking for in a game is entirely different than what i'm looking for in a movie and i think that's depending on it's just it's just asking that question like what are you looking for in x or y um and a lot of people for games there's like one one person published this i think article or like this theory that there are seven types of fun um and we'll probably have a podcast about that maybe um that'd be fun we may or may not yeah. but um one of those types is narrative so like some people find the narrative to be the most fun part in a game i personally am not that 
um, I find the mastery and the, I think, exploration is the other one. I find those two to be way more exciting, but I don't really care about those. Obviously, you can't master a movie per se. Um, for a movie, I'm looking more for like this almost grandiosity. I guess that might actually be very similar then. <laughs> <laughs> I really like large, like larger than life feelings. Yeah. So I guess, you know, yeah, there, there's got to, there's got to be some, <laughs> there's got to be some comparison actually. <laughs> and that, that may be something that we spend a little bit of time thinking about and come back with another episode yeah, on. Sure. Um, because the idea is that we enjoy board games for some reason. We may know what no, those I, reasons no are. No idea. No idea. What <laughs> no, I, I, I think I know. <laughs> but like, and I do, if you are way into board games and you haven't done this exercise, I do recommend it. Just sit down and give real thought to like why you like board games and why you got into board games. Mm-hmm. And it showed me a lot about myself in kind of a dark way. I found out that I really like, <laughs> I like tests and I like a level playing field where I can prove myself prove to myself that I'm worth something. And excuse me, that's kind of a hard thing to come to the realization of is that I play board games to feel like I'm worth something. (laughs) I hope to get over that. (laughs) I hope to really like appreciate myself worth irregardless, irregardless, that's not a word, regardless of how I perform (laughs) in board games. But I don't know. And I, I do, I would like to map like why I like certain board games above others. And if based it is, if it's based off of my like fun preference, hmm. like what gives me the feeling of excitement and joy. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely like a great question to ask and probably actually in anything that That's you true. love, why do you love that thing? Or what do you love in general? There was a, um, this is, I guess, also off topic, but like I started this, this course that was teaching me like how to do social media marketing, um, and how to like become a YouTuber, basically all that to say, I didn't say that much. Um, the, the thing that they started with is they asked you in coming up with basically what should your YouTube channel be about at all? They're just like, write down 50 things that you love. And then I found out that it was like actually like a really interesting practice. Cause first of all, it just got me to dwell on things that I loved, which was a good thing. But then at the same time, it got me to like write it down and really be mindful of what it is that I love. And then after that, like, I just had like this, a little greater sense of like this awareness of these are what's important to me. And, mm-hmm. and then asking yourself why is just like another way to just explore that. Um, it's, I think it's a good process. Um, all throughout high school, I kept what I call the love list and it took a while to get into the habit of it, but I would carry this love list with me everywhere. And anytime I had the thought like, man, I love that thing or that thing's awesome. I would add it to the love list. And it was such a fantastic exercise and reading back through it, it was stupid things like bubbles and like a dark wood (laughs) and the smell of, um, like the smell of gasoline and little stupid things like that. I told myself that I had to keep people off the list because I was like, that's just like opening myself up to feeling obligated to add sure. some people. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I said, no people on the list. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I should start at the back of the same notebook and do a hate list, which that was the really interesting development in this whole process interesting. because I started writing down things that I just couldn't stand. And I stopped after about two days and I was just like, I don't like where this takes me. And when I would start reading through the list and like writing stuff down, I I just went to dark places where I just didn't prefer to be. Um, And the love list would have the opposite effect. When I was feeling frustrated or down, I would pull out my love list and just like start reading a few random pages. And all of a sudden it's just like, man, the world's a brighter, better place just That's because cool. of all of these things in it. There is a podcast um, that they basically, this, this lady basically just interviews a bunch of people and just asks them about like the way that they live their life. Basically it's called on being. Um, okay. I've only listened to a few episodes, all of which are about poets because I, I am a poet. And so I was really interested in hearing 
from others, but this guy, Ross Gay, is um, he is a poet as well as an essay writer, like he writes essays basically, and he has this book called, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but basically like I think it's called The Book of Delights, I'm pretty sure is what it's called, and what he mm-hmm. did is he went one whole year from his birthday to his next birthday um, every day writing down things that brought him some sense of delight. Um, yeah. So very similar to that, he made it a practice where he wanted to do it every single day. He did it almost every single day. Um, but in the interview, in the interview of the podcast, she asked him like, what's something that you like, that like surprised you about doing this, about this practice. And he said, he said it was surprising because he, he very quickly realized. So at first he was, um, he felt like, oh, this is going to be difficult. I'm going to like try to like find ways to be delighted. Like I'm going to have to like kind of force the issue. And mm-hmm. he really quickly realized, oh, because I'm looking for it, I'm finding it. Like it's there and there are right. things to be delighted by. And so he found this like really traumatic shift just because of that intention. So hearing you say that, like, obviously reminds me that it's a very similar idea that this, like you have this ability to to focus on things and what you focus on really changes the way that you experience life um, right. i wonder if there's a nice application to board games there <laughs> before we get too off topic we need to bring it back <laughs> or all these things are beautifully related and um i found that board games for me there are very few board games that i just like do not want to play and just don't really want to have anything to do with most games have something that i'm like yeah like there's something in there that is really clever or different i mean even if it's just the artwork was like really uh really well executed Hmm. a little subtle rule shift that i hadn't seen before and i think that's why i enjoy board games is you have this world of it's things uh, to be explored. Like there are so many board games that I would argue that you probably can't play them all. Um, but each one is just slightly different. And it's amazing what a slight change in a rule set can do. And yep. just the added like, wow, that was brilliant. And I want to give you a chance to say anything before I launch into another story about a board game that like genuinely just surprised me because of the little the little things in it the little things um i mostly think of like on that idea of like two games being slightly different but like dramatically different experience it just reminds me of the there was a study done where basically they were trying to find out if people played differently depending on the basically the theme of the game and they mm-hmm. had two identical games mechanically one of which you were diving into a mine and trying to get gold it was called ink and uh, i don't think it was called ink and gold that's an actual game maybe it was uh, either way, you're going deeper in this mine. It's a push your luck game, trying to get as much gold as you can. And then if you go too far, you might not get any of it, basically. Mm-hmm. Compared to a game about being a firefighter and you're going deeper in to save people's lives from the fire. And they found that people treated this completely differently because in one game, you're pushing your luck out of greed. And the mm-hmm. other game, you're pushing your luck out of heroism. And despite it being mechanically the exact same game, nearly like across the board people were treating it differently and so that's just like such an interesting yeah um, I I bring it up pretty often but that subtle difference the theme basically created a completely different experience even by like what you chose to do in the game that is super neat now I just want to look up every study that's been done um about uh, games based on board games and we can just like rehash them and why that's cool (laughs) that's that'd be great um so the the game that I was thinking of um, is the crew. Uh, it was. Yep. Did it win the German game it of the year? It did. It did. I it was did, gonna right? get it, and then it won, and then I got it because I was like, I have to get it. Yeah, absolutely. After that, um, yeah. I I like to look at the contestants for the game of the year, and I like to make my own prediction just based off of not playing them, but just learning about the rules. Um, I think I ranked the crew at the bottom of that list so when it won i was like man i really have to try this now yeah (laughs) um the reasons being it's basically i mean it's a trick-taking game it's basically hearts with two major twists it's cooperative which is major 
and you can't openly communicate. Now, two of both of those things were big red flags for me because I'm like, first of all, cooperative hearts does not sound intriguing to me. It actually <laughs> sounds pretty boring. Um, and then second, games that limit communication tend to take out one of the things that I find fundamentally enjoyable about board games. And that's the communication that happens around the table. So finally, when I got it, um, played through it, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, you take, you take this idea of cooperative hearts, you wouldn't think that it changes it that much, but the change was drastic, mm -hmm. felt completely different, did not feel like normal trick taking. And then I found that that limit of communication weirdly got us communicating more, if that makes sense, where we yeah, had yeah. to, where we had to like dial in and be so like focused and not communicating with each other during the game. We like overcompensated for that outside of the game to where yeah. we wanted to explain every thought that was going through our heads, why we oh. thought so-and-so was thinking what they were thinking. Totally. So that limit of communication resulted in an outpouring of communication that's really cool in response which i loved and that's something i talk about often about like why do i love games and i think that it's because it's a great way to connect with people and not mm -hmm. only like something to bring people in together but after the game is over there's something you get to just connect about so talking mm -hmm. about the game whether it is like theoretical discussion or just telling stories like or you know that moment that you finish the game and then everyone's just like oh my gosh, this was a crazy experience. Like a lot of games have that. And so that's a really cool way to put it. The crew totally does have that. And it is only because you can't communicate. Right. Because otherwise you would, you would just like share these throughout and then it wouldn't be as impact. It wouldn't be as impactful. It makes like a uniquely delightful experience in that way. So that's, that's super cool. I, I was asking myself the question, like, okay, the crew, what is the crew's game arc? And it's, it is, the tapering it is the one that's slowly crawling to the finish i i realized i think it's closer to gloomhaven than the other uh than you know it's and yeah. i think that's actually trick-taking games in general um yeah i would agree it, you start out with is gloomhaven a trick-taking game no it's not uh <laughs> you start <laughs> out with like a, something there a full hand of cards and every like early play is like you know you're trying to make sure things are going good but at the same time you're making sure that by the end of the mm -hmm. game you're not completely out of steam um and then with the crew specifically, your goal is to have specific players win certain cards in their tricks. So mm -hmm. you're working together in that way, like depending on who's leading and what card is led and stuff, um, trying to get people to have those cards, which means sometimes in the crew, by the end of the game, you have like three cards left and you have two objectives left. And like, you have to like really dial in and figure out how you're going to do it. Um, yeah. And it gets really tight in that way. So it has a surprisingly similar feeling to Gloomhaven. Obviously, if you like the crew and not Gloomhaven, that's not wrong because one of them right. is an hour and a half and the other one's 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so yeah. anything goes. So, But that's interesting. We're about ready to wrap up here, but I just came to a realization. I think I would like Gloomhaven if I got my own copy and I played it from the beginning. Oh, wait, you just like. Oh, yeah, I just played like scenarios oh. partway through oh, to where <laughs> like they were like, That's oh, yeah, so funny. we'll like write you into this game. And like I just kind of like jumped in, played like a scenario with them. So there was no attachment to like overall story arc or anything like that. It was just in that sense, it was like a pure distillation of just totally. mechanics because i had no attachment to the characters i had no attachment to the story or what we were doing or why it might be advantageous to pick up gold along the way because i knew i wasn't continuing for another oh. yep. so maybe it makes a little bit more sense now why i wasn't super jazzed about it that does make um, sense i do think that first of all um there are that that is kind of how gloomhaven plays though the, the thing that you said you don't like about it it is kind of that way generally yeah but the implications are more exciting. And so I think it works really well for that reason. I also think that, so things like gold mm -hmm. and um, the way that, that um, they, it's not as simple as like just being efficient because they're, they ask a lot of, 
the gameplay asks a lot of questions. It's like, is this the time that you do your big thing? Um, yeah. And if you do it in a time that's really not worth it, that could really screw you over. But if you don't and you're playing too safe, that also can really mess you up. So it, right. it, like, it like has a lot of interesting, it almost feels like you're pushing your luck in that way, like trying to manage this really limited set of stamina, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, do I go and get that gold? Do I go and tre- get the treasure chest? Like we need the treasure for, right. we want more treasure. But so it, it puts it in this context. I do think it really helps it. Um, and then lastly, I would say, get Jaws of the Lion. Yeah. I... So here's here's my mind blowing revelation for this entire episode. Um, <laughs> Gloomhaven, to me, seems like a gameplay arc inside of a gameplay arc. Totally. If you look at the overall like campaign and story, it actually is playing like Eon's End, where your character is yep. getting more powerful, having more options, more abilities. However, game to game, it has the exact opposite, where in the moment you're just constantly just beat struggle. down and weathered a struggle like a fight like in daredevil is absolutely a good way to put right. it which is why i think like okay if i were to step back and play gloomhaven from like a i'm really like wanting to get into the story i think i could get on board with it uh-huh. however there are a lot of things that <laughs> this is for another episode but i don't love <laughs> i don't love dungeon crawlers why do they feel so slow and tedious to me it's like they kind of are because it's turn very... taking like five steps up to the other side of the dungeon. How is that realistic? It is <laughs> dungeon crawlers are very zoomed in. Yeah, it's turn to turn. It's like everything you're trying to do compared to, you know, like Eon's End or whatever, or like uh, compared to Mage Knight, for example, is like a, the exact opposite. Mage Knight, you go, you're like, Mage Knight is like a whole campaign of Gloomhaven in three hours. Um, so it's like completely different. And when you zoom in more, then you're making more small decisions, if that makes sense. Not by like decisions, like mechanical decisions, but like if you look at the narrative of what's going on, in Mage Knight, you play a few attack cards. In Gloomhaven, you move around, you attack certain guys, you apply different conditions. I don't know. Basically, it's more slow because there's more small things because you're seeing every footstep and every yeah. like i prep my weapon and it's like oh man that took a whole turn <laughs> took a whole turn to take three steps and prep my weapon i would be interested <laughs> in playing more role-playing games that feel less like that though because role-playing yeah. games are even more so like compared to gloomhaven. Oh, yeah. gloomhaven gloomhaven makes it like people say it's like a euro games Euro gamers dungeon crawler because it has really right. brilliant mechanics role-playing games are just that kind of like in general not completely um and it also depends on the dm for sure anyways there's probably systems that because i haven't played a lot of systems that really make that like way more exciting i would actually be very interested in knowing that um because i find rpgs a little bit a little bit tedious as well they're, to where they're it's just totally like... mechanically they're totally tedious especially yeah. D. 5e uh oops <laughs> i like pathfinder second edition more <laughs> let the world know <laughs> uh, all right well we covered we covered a lot of like <laughs> oh i'll tell you honestly me and evan sat down and we talked about this episode and whether we would have enough to talk about we like were coming up with a lot of things that we're like oh yeah we can talk about this and this we didn't cover any of those <laughs> in this and we just talked about love lists and <laughs> yeah so we absolutely went off the tracks and i i feel good about it <laughs> so yeah, if, I, if I you loved it <laughs> if you enjoyed it um please give us some p- feedback if you felt like it was just off the tracks we're happy to we're receptive yeah. <laughs> um we may or may not become more and more focused or we might just keep going off the tracks we understand that we could add a little bit more structure to this we enjoy doing this because of the crazy places we go in each and, episode. And really, I have, um, me and McKay hadn't talked a lot beforehand besides on Instagram, like in messages and stuff, but we hadn't actually like had, you know, video call talks or anything like that until we started mm-hmm. this podcast. And so in reality, most of our conversations have been recorded, which is That's funny. That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe like half or something. We, you know, talk before and after. Yeah but we could um, literally so replay this... our entire relationship for somebody 
Um, anyways, all that to say, um, our conversation is going off the tracks. It's just because we're having a conversation and we're getting to know each other. And like, I'm happy to hear about you having this love list when you were in high school. That's like super cool to know. Um, and I love that idea. So that's just kind of, I guess, maybe just going to be not, not that unusual for this podcast. Um, so I don't know. I don't really apologize. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And let's, we're going to, that's about our half hour of like this topic. We're going to move into a post show. So if you want, stick around and uh, listen to us blabber some more about things that may or may not be related to uh, board games. Yeah. Okay, wait. <laughs> I just have to clarify. You kept saying off the tracks, and is there a train that's close to your house? Because you kept saying there off is. the tracks, and then I'd hear like this. Uh, uh. <laughs> there is a train very close, and very often it is, uh, including right now, you there probably it can yep. hear it. <laughs> uh, it was just I funny because you kept think... saying off the tracks, I don't and I was think like, that's people why... are going to think that I'm adding in sound effects in the editing. <laughs> can we though yeah we can absolutely should um, we i don't know <laughs> i'm just gonna have i'm gonna add cricket sounds all the time like just add even where there was <laughs> a pause after i say something <laughs> awkward i'll create an artificial pause with cricket sounds i love it yeah i love it <laughs> and a laugh um, track because everybody yeah. loves a good laugh track right oh yeah i'm saying that for the benefit of my brother-in-law who actually uh, introduced me to gloomhaven he will not watch a tv show that has a laugh track i which... get that yeah i get it the in general if it has a laugh track the timing is awkward um because they're making space for the laugh track which is just not organic at all um, yeah. it's fine they're usually fairly funny still it also often just what I've noticed is that when a show has a laugh track, usually what the, what the comedy is, is the characters are making jokes. And so it's just like a bunch of these more or less shallow gags. Um, right. Less amount, like comparatively, you see a lot of really, like what I would consider the best comedies, um, things like uh, Community, Arrested Development, um, New Girl, <laughs> even. Um, those shows generally are about the characters just being the way they are and mm -hmm. and getting into wacky situations um and things like that and basically that is different because those shows are telling you about how life is funny and people are it's just funny the way people are and right. my favorite jokes are like that so it's a, it's more or less just annoying when i'm watching a show like friends or you know those shows where every single line is just them making a joke and then the laugh track goes and it's just like this doesn't feel anyways so i get it <laughs> I, also, I, I also i also like gloomhaven okay there we go so there and him would be a great friends <laughs> there we go um see i it doesn't bug me because i see it as like a very specific style of humor sure um it, it was just funny to hear such a such an like uh adam an opinion on that so i'm like yeah laugh yeah. tracks are like very false but i was like they were also developed in a time when they were when, live studio recordings right yeah exactly which so i'm not I like actually have, completely opposed to laugh tracks but i get where he's coming from maybe yeah which i mean once once i start listing my favorite like sitcoms and stuff like that it's like yeah you're right like community the office um yep those definitely have a lot more by the way i was watching community while getting some work done just watch go. the one where um abed becomes the like kingpin of like the chicken fingers oh that was and... a good one that's a good one. Oh, good oh my and gosh i watched so i watched like all of community and then i went back and started over and i had like this mind-blowing experience where i was like this series is not about jeff it's about abed and huh. abed is literally totally. the first person to talk in the entire series yep and yet jeff is the one that you always focus on which is hilarious because they make a right. gag of that the entire time about like oh it's all about jeff like yep jeff like brings all the attention to himself and all of that 
And I was like, wow. And most episodes will end with Troy and Abed. And yeah. I don't know. It was just like this. The I think that's true. Creation of that community is pretty brilliant. In like Commun- their... Community is 100% brilliant. It's a fantastic yeah. series. Um, I, I watched, uh, I said Gloomhaven. Honestly, <laughs> fairly similar. No. Um, I watched Community, I think, twice through. And then this last year, like four different people who I spend time with often have been watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been like hanging out with them while they're watching Community. So I've watched like so many episodes in the last year and none of which have been in any specific order. And I'm often jumping around. So it's just like, I've seen Community <laughs> once or maybe it's twice, I don't remember. And then like a bunch of episodes literally randomly dispersed throughout. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so just to bring this back to games, although I am really tempted just to hear all of your like, let's not dive into them. Tell me your top TV <laughs> shows that you've watched of all time. Top TV shows. Someone recently just asked me that. I think my, so including anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion is mm-hmm. probably my number one. If you're not including anime, then we're just talking about like, you know, television. Yeah. Um, I would bring up Freaks and Geeks. Really? Fantastic series. Absolutely brilliant. It got canceled way too soon because of network stuff that sucked. But um, mm-hmm. like some of the best writing, some of the best characters, some of the, everything's just super good. Um, and there was so much potential. And so it's just a shame. Other ones that come up, come to mind, I, I obviously like Community is one of them. But mm-hmm. one that I would say might be my favorite you you would call like a comedy it's more a, a rom-com if anything but it's a it's a british show called lovesick it's on netflix um i highly recommend that one it's fairly raunchy it's british humor so it's like pretty you know it's pretty raunchy which is but it's fine but it has some of the most brilliant writing and just like insanely well-written characters that i, I it's just a must watch and it's really underappreciated so like i know like a few people who have seen it Mm -hmm. um most like two of which i showed one of which we like watched independently of each other and we're just like everyone needs to watch this show it's like so good so (laughs) i would just say that one other than that there's you know there's a lot of different great shows uh breaking bad's really good obviously um all right my top like the ones that just come to mind immediately as like yeah these are like top notch for me uh fringe i loved fringe for whatever reason like the best i think the best execution of like a police like uh kind of mm-hmm. or like mystery mix um the just the overall story i watched it once then i started back over after like knowing the whole story and i was like oh my gosh like they yep. knew they knew the entire time exactly what they were doing and that's great so many tv shows feel like they're just like the writers are scraping by trying to like amend it for like studio and audience feedback right. and i was like no man fringe they knew exactly what they were doing from episode one and they were alluding to it the entire time that's super cool um and then the office is the office and community are probably my two yep. favorite like sitcoms that Both i can really just good. have them on repeat yeah <laughs> the dialogue is as good as the visuals and yep man they both well i don't like how community ended um fair enough it kind of it was dealt a bad season, hand of cards yeah the last season just felt way off base so i just stop it after that um but man i i think the the season finale or like the series finale of the office makes me cry every time oh it's yeah just like so good and wholesome oh yeah for sure um i forgot to mention twin peaks twin peaks man twin I peaks heard of is of one of my favorite things ever it's it's David Lynch. So he, him and Mark Frost worked together on this. David Lynch is a notable director that is incredibly weird and makes really like art house stuff. Like with, he's mm-hmm. very, he just makes what he wants to make and he says what he wants to say. And his art is brilliant and divisive and crazy. And he worked with this guy to make a crime drama on network television. And so it's this like fascinating piece of culture um, mm-hmm. because it's super weird but super normal and almost making fun of normal shows <laughs> if that makes sense like and it it has this like 
completely unique style that nothing else has with, I would say, maybe the best lead character in anything. Okay. Anyways. Now back to board games really quick. <laughs> Have you played anything new this week? Yes. Um, Railroad Inc. Challenge, the most recently kickstarted Railroad Inc. Um, yeah. Stuff came in the mail. I got the collector's edition. So oh, wow, a giant thing of like tons of before Railroad Inc. Challenge. What is it? I had two Railroad Inks. I had Railroad Inc. Red and Blue, which mm-hmm. had each two different expansion dice. Like so, I had four different right. options for expansions, basically. Railroad Inc. Challenge has two different editions as well, yellow and green. Um, and it's a little more complicated version of the game. So it adds a little more crunch. It's a little bit more challenging. And so as the name says, um, but then it also had, especially in the collector's edition, a bunch of more expansions. So it went from four expansions to nearly 20. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I played my first game last night. Um, I enjoyed the way challenge works now. They like, Again, like the extra crunch really brings just like more thinkiness into what Railroad Inc. was, which was fairly mm-hmm. simple. Um, so I really love that. Plus, I'm just so excited to just, I, I have limitless variety now for Railroad Inc., like an insane amount. When I kickstarted, I was like, it's like $40 or $50 more to get to like 16 expansions. <laughs> uh yes <laughs> yeah so i was like collector's <laughs> edition boom and it came finally so i'm very excited about that That's awesome i remember that being on kickstarter i didn't back it just because i don't back kickstarters that often maybe i'm like way too into immediate gratification and i don't want to wait months for the game. <laughs> i didn't used um, to i didn't used to do it a lot this year i've backed like six kickstarters yeah and i'm very excited but also there keeps being exciting kickstarters most of them are granted like expansions so like right things like the root expansion and yeah. i recently backed this isn't kickstarter but basically uh the robinson crusoe collector's edition yeah but that um, was on game so, found right yeah game found um which is up and coming maybe um i was gonna say i would love to see game found uh take kickstarter's business i'm like Games really yeah. could have their completely own platform for. I mean, like Kickstarter. This. Like, I think it's like the biggest thing on Kickstarter. It is. Like, if I've you, heard Kickstarter if, struggling. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard anything specific, but I would probably like if I were to, you know, create a game, I would probably look at GameFound first. Yeah. Obviously, that's I haven't thought about it a ton. I'm not yeah. in that process right now. Um. Anyways. Cool. Um, and if any of the listeners have not uh, played Railroad Inc., it still seems pretty obscure to me in the game board really? world. I'm surprised how many people haven't played it. Um, brilliant game. It's a roll and write. Uh, so you roll the dice and you have to like do things. I mean, Yahtzee was kind of the original roll and write, but um, Railroad Inc., you're trying to connect highways and railroads um, to get different points. And Man, it's one of those games that is so peaceful to play in a weird, like, it's it's still, like, stressful, and you have, like, these moments of, like, ah, what am I going to do? But by yep. the end, it's like, man, look what I just created. Like, this beautiful highway system and railroads, and I don't know. There's something extremely serene about playing railroading can i it's love it. very serene it's a very fun game it's a super I, like i said like really simple game especially the non-challenge edition and right. it's one that i've found a lot of joy in just playing outside um oh, okay makes sense not necessarily that that's i don't know like a huge factor in whether i want to get a game or not but um i've just had I, so it's not necessarily the most notable thing about railroading but Right. I would just mention, like, I've had a lot of good times just hanging out outside on a picnic blanket or whatever, yeah. playing railroading. And they did such a good job with the art artist selection. Oh, yeah. I forget her name, but she does an amazing job. Just the, the light watercolor illustrations yep. just mirror the mood of the game perfectly. And the artist's name is Marta Tranquilli. It's okay. probably pronounced differently than that. It seems probably. like it's, um, yeah. I think Italian. he does a phenomenal job. I mean, I don't think they could have gotten a better artist for what the game is. It's wonderful. Um, so I I got how many new games did I get this week? Oh, um, nice. So I got Gods Love Dinosaurs. <laughs> I which, don't even know what that is. 
I so it's Pandasaurus's new game. Um, May, maybe I have seen it actually. They, Pandasaurus obviously loves dinosaurs. Um, but Saurus. Yeah, Pandasaurus <laughs> games. Um, so Gods Love Dinosaurs is um, it's kind of like this ecosystem building game that you're drafting tiles and you're adding cool. rats, frogs, and <clears throat> rabbits to your ecosystem. Okay. And then you start introducing predators, uh, eagles and tigers. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to make the dinosaurs survive. Mm -hmm. And so it's fun because it's called Gods Love Dinosaurs. And you are essentially playing the gods as you like <laughs> try and build up your rabbit population so the eagles can come in and eat them. And then the eagles, huh. like the predators become food for your dinosaurs. And I'm... Um, just a really well built game. One of the best examples of like actual ecosystem simulation that I've ever seen. That's um, cool. That's really cool. And so, uh, spoiler alert, I'm actually developing a curriculum for game schooling. I teach a group of like homeschool students. Okay, and heck yeah. next semester we're going to do game schooling. And this is going to uh -huh. be a big part of like talking about ecosystem balancing. Yeah, that's but, super cool. Like the last game I played. I built up my rabbits like crazy. The board was just crawling with rabbits. <laughs> and then I introduced two eagles and they just wiped them out. And the rest of the game, even though I had left behind a rabbit to continue the population growing and stuff, I could not get my rabbit population to do anything after that. It was crazy. Like, I don't know. It was just... That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm a fan of the game. Not How to mention the little wooden meeples are just adorable beyond belief. They did a great job with them. Have, they look really i just looked it up it, it looks like a cool game yeah have you played evolution yes okay um, i think we talked about mixed a bit. feelings about evolution i i think that mixed feelings are completely valid um i do think that it does emulate an ecosystem in a cool way right um basically the idea that every part of the ecosystem affects every other part and changes the way the parts you know take part in sorry that's <laughs> in in the <laughs> environment i guess <laughs> uh, that's awesome um, um yeah evolution is fun especially like the um when to like turn one of your herbivores into a carnivore and just like start cool, eating all the other animals around it's a, the it's a cool hole. moment it's yeah a cool moment so yeah that's also a really good one that's actually on the list too as we talk about uh -huh. i i'm not sure how in depth i'll cover evolution <laughs> itself but it's also a good ecosystem balancing sure. game I'm interested, um, similarly, just I'll bring it up, to try yeah. more games with that theme. So like this um, prehistoric sort of theme. Right. Um, and I've, I've, been cons I've considered paleo. I've considered okay. dominant species, as mm -hmm. well as oceans, which is uh, evolution's ocean game. Yeah. Um, oceans is better than evolution, I think. Um, I've heard. And I think they just fixed a couple of like the clear oversights and some of like the mechanic designs. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a, I think it's one of those categories that doesn't get enough credit. Um, yeah, it seems really cool. It's, it, those are just like some of the games. Those are three games that are high on my wish list right now. Yeah. And Gods of um, Dinosaurs is maybe on my wish list too now. Yeah. And it's fun. It's a great, um, a step past a gateway game, but I got my sure. dad who's definitely not a gamer um, to play it. And um, he did, he did great. And I think he had a good time. So it was cool. good. Um, I also ordered Draftosaurus. It's finally back in stock. Um, Draftosaurus sold out so fast. And, um, once it popped up on Amazon, I was like, yes, finally. So That's it was great. a dinosaur week for me. Heck, um, yeah. and then the People other one that I got, games. I know. Right. And I don't, I didn't really understand it until I started seeing dinosaur meeples and I was like, okay. I That's totally get it. They're That's so cute. cute. You take something that is like so larger than life and distill it into a tiny little representation of itself. And That's fantastic. Know, <laughs> something beautiful about it. Uh, and then I got my, I bought my sister for a birthday um, feast and famine. I almost guarantee nobody's really played that one. Um, no idea. I think it was published locally. It's about Joseph in Egypt and the seven years of, oh, that's um, cool plenty in the seven years of famine so but like the religious and biblical overtones are super light it's taken from a lot more of like a historical standpoint um 
one of the more unique games. You play through the seven years of um, plenty, which is awesome because you just like, you rake stuff in. It's just gathering resources and it feels so awesome. And then the board flips and it's the seven years of famine. And it's That's this cool. vicious bidding war for resources. And oh, dang. So you lose all of your resources, but those resources net you like little eyes of Horus. Uh -huh. um, and those become your bargaining chips to like bid for um, bid for these victory points, basically. Um, really cool mechanics. And it just that feeling of halfway through the game, not even halfway, the years of plenty are probably like um, three quarters and then the famine goes by really fast. But just that sudden shift of like, we were all just like getting stuff all of a sudden is just reduced to, uh, yeah, you have nothing and we're just scraping by for victory points. It's, That's awesome. It was really fun. Super awesome. That sounds really interesting. I, I like the idea of, and basically like having a dramatic shift in mm -hmm. the gameplay, um, even by like, not just by like vibe or something, but like by entire rule sets. Yeah. Um, except for I don't like that in Betrayal, but. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> we should have an episode <laughs> just on Betrayal. Honestly, we should. Such a divisive game. It's... I've yet to play an enjoyable game of Betrayal. I know I it's have. out there. I, I know have. it exists. I somehow, every scenario I've played of Betrayal has been a train wreck. Like, yeah not only in like length of game went way too long, but also like the mechanics and the rules that it introduced. I was like, anybody can see that this is a horrible choice. Why did you do this? <laughs> they went for a variety. They got right. variety and it meant that it was just a hit or miss. Yeah. I've, I've only gotten misses. The, only the misses with that. And I have yeah. betrayal legacy on my shelf and betrayal legacy is better. Okay. I'm excited to play that one. No. You want me to tell you the worst scenario I've played of Betrayal? <laughs> yes. Have you played the one with the plants? Um, it's like uh, a bunch of plants like uh, sprout and they are trying to strangle all of the other players. I might have. I think so, maybe. So, it sounds familiar, but... The crazy fatal flaw is one of the omens that comes up is a book. And in order to... What happens is one person turns and they become like the plants in the house and they're supposed yeah. to kill everybody else. That's usually the theme. Um, but the person who has the book in their possession has to get it to the kitchen, brew a pesticide and kill all of the other, kill all of the plants in order for the players to win. The problem is you, there's only one book, there's one kitchen and you can only brew one batch of the pesticide. So if you don't have that book and you're not the player doing that, there's literally nothing the other players can do. You can't go fight the plants. You, there's nothing. And so three of us were sitting around the table, just like, I guess I'll move over to this room and wait for your turn to come back around so you can get closer to the kitchen. And, and I guess I'll move to this side. Like it was a struggle. And I was like, why did you do this? You made one person important in the entire scenario. Everybody else is just running. That's dreadful. Yeah, it was We bad. We determined that with regular betrayal, I again think that legacy more or less fixes it. Mm -hmm. um, that there's a few scenarios that don't have a traitor. We found out that those are actually the most fun because they are. the balance issues are pretty dramatic. It's just usually really skewed. And so one or two to four players just get screwed over, basically. Right. Um, which isn't great to happen by like a random fact. And obviously, to enjoy Betrayal, you have to take a step away and say, it's not about winning. It's actually just about a chaotic it's about the story. thing. It's very similar to something like Talisman. Um, yeah. But it's maybe more frustrating. And that moment that you have to step away and learn rules doesn't really mm -hmm. make for a good play experience. Yeah, especially for new players, even though it's actually a really easy game to introduce to someone, like crazy easy. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It, 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 the game would just be better without Betrayal, which happens yeah. to be the name of the game, the whole point of the <laughs> game. So true. it's like, that doesn't really seem good. 
I appreciate the idea. The mechanic to like build in like the pieces of the game that you need for the scenario in like the form of omens and stuff. There are some really successful and really like thoughtful things that happen there. Unfortunately, yep. I'm like a lot of the scenarios are just a flop to play, unfortunately. Yep. And uh, no, we're not here to just bash on Betrayal. Betrayal again has some great things. It has right. a great sense of humor. Um, and it does um it's I think I really like its theme, the way that like you go into a room and it's like, oh, this is the altar room, and then you flip an event and then it's like sacrifice. And so, like, I don't know. Sometimes there's these mm -hmm. things that line up and you're like, oh, this is really cool and like immersive. Right. And at the right. same time, it's just hilarious. <laughs> but to continue bashing on betrayal after I gave that buffer, <laughs> um, it has the worst rule book in any game I've ever played. Yeah. The absolute I mean, worst. I think I could top it. Oh, sorry. Um, I think I could top it. There's a, oh man, what is it called? Tower of Madness. Um, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not only the worst game I've ever played, but <laughs> hands down the worst rule book. Oh man, we could do a series on rule books that are just like, don't even try. Just watch a video on the internet. Watch a video. Because... And I don't have a lot of examples of, of rule books. I didn't, you know, some of them are like more difficult or whatever, but Betrayal, yeah is a very simple game and it took so long to learn because it was yeah. written so poorly and we we're like what is all this stuff it like overloaded you with useless information at the beginning only to make the simple information confusing because of all that other stuff and then it's just right. like this could have been done so much better yeah and i think terraforming mars is probably my go-to example for rules that by the end of it i was just like wait this is actually really simple. Why did it <laughs> seem so complex the entire time I was reading totally. the instructions? Totally. Oh, man. Anyway, it's about time we wrap up. Uh, yep. Thanks to everyone who stayed for the post show. Um, I know <laughs> it's always really random, but um, we have fun talking about it. <laughs> I like it. We, we may or may not, you know, change the nature of the post show, but for now it's great and I enjoy it more than enough to it doesn't matter i don't care if if it's not enjoyable for the listeners is that should i care about that should i care um about i should, we should care, care about that for the body of our show but that's true i mean <laughs> if they've stayed to this point just fair disclaimer if you have stayed to this point it is your own dang fault for not enjoying this because give you fair warning that we would not be talking about board games <laughs> and that it would just be random crap that we want to talk about so it usually is about you. board games it usually is about board games but but there are other things anyways anyways thanks so much for joining um we had a great time talking about game arcs i want we want to hear from you if you want to reach out to either of us on instagram being friends official for me and yep and the, the board critic or the board game critic the board critic on instagram and the board game critic on youtube um yeah what are i don't know we want to hear what you think about game arcs what are some of your favorites i know for me like I said, Spirit Island, Mage Knight, Neon Zender 3 are my favorite games. So that that crescendo, that character building is the best. I absolutely love that. It's like I have determined my favorite thing in games. So that's my favorite game arc. What's yours? For sure. What's <laughs> yours? Not, I don't want to hear from you, Mickey. I know. Audience, audience, what's yours? <laughs> uh, have a good one. And we will talk to you again in two weeks. That's right. See you then.